welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this episode we'll be talking about flight, those moments in games where you break the surly bonds of the game's physics and take to the skybox. To help me discuss flight in video games is the man who once gave up his plane ticket to the Big Bopper, my good friend Jared Bruner. And if you don't get that joke, Google it and just send me angry emails later. Too soon. Too soon. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> it's been, what, like 60, 70 years? Is it still too soon? Jared, how you doing, man? Doing well. How are you? You sound uh, you like make, make have little sniffles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm fighting off a cold. Uh, having, a, having a two-year-old is rough, man. Having a two-year-old in daycare is, like, brutal on the immune system. Yeah, people always talk about how... You know, you don't really get a whole lot of sleep when you have a kid, but apparently you're just perpetually sick too. Yeah. <laughs> See, sleep, I, sleep, I've been good on. Sleep, he's always been great at making it all the way through the night. But dude, I don't know. Ever since we put him in daycare, it's just been, it's been abusive. It's been real <laughs> abusive. Um, I hope, you, I hope for our listeners' sake, you leave my original intro <laughs> in there so people can hear just, just how, how sick I am. <laughs> um, Jared, we're talking about flight. What? Today. I get a whole episode where I get to talk about plane things? I know. We've mentioned it in the Sharif episode, but but you really do, like, at parties, put on videos of just people doing touch and goes and stuff. It's fantastic. I mean, you just don't... I have to explain why it's so cool to you, and then you'll get it. I know. One day one day it'll click. But Jared, we have an amazing guest to talk about flight with. He's the former senior video producer at Giant Bomb, and now he's the creator and host of the documentary series Cloth Map. Please welcome Drew Scanlon. Drew, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Thank you very much. Uh, also a bit sniffly, but uh, still still great to be here. Thanks, guys. Well, yeah, we'll all just be sick together. It'll be great. I'll try to edit out all the all the sniffles and sneezing. and It's going to be quite a job. <laughs> yeah, you got your work cut out for you. So, Drew, for people who aren't uh, familiar with your work, how did you get started in what I'll call the video game journalism industry? Yeah, uh, I actually started at a game developer uh, right out of college that I had interned with while I was in college and then signed on for a contract position when I, right on. When what I graduated. Were you, what were you studying? Uh, I, my major was in uh, uh, design. Actually, what's, what's on my diploma is design pipe. You know the pipe character? It's, uh, it's shift forward slash. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the one beneath the, yeah, uh, yeah, the oh, backspace yeah, yeah. key. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a pipe, uh, and on my diploma it says design pipe media arts. Okay, that's what I majored in. It's basically arts with a computer <laughs> emphasis. I majored in Photoshop, is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that I I had wanted to do something with video games um, th- throughout uh, throughout college, and you know I've I've loved games for basically my entire life, but um, I was not programmically inclined which is kind of strange because I, I took some programming classes in college and really really enjoyed them um, and I think I did myself a disservice by steering away from that I actually really enjoy programming but uh, I do not have a enough of a background to do um, you know that kind of technical side of game development so I stuck to the art side I started at a place called Backbone Entertainment in uh, Emeryville California uh, they're no longer around, but they they did a lot of they did some original work um, games like Death Junior for the PSP and the Wii, uh, and they did a lot of ports, um, most notably um, Super Street Fighter 2 HD Remix, uh, which I actually worked on. Oh, nice. Um, 
and uh yeah i i didn't i wasn't there for too long before the recession hit um and mm. my contract was not renewed and i was looking for <laughs> looking for work and i found this uh i found this post on craigslist for um it was just an internet company i didn't even know that they were they had a video game website branch um but i responded and said hey i can i can <laughs> i can I ship t-shirts for you um which is what they needed me to do yeah and i thought i could like parlay it into like some kind of i don't know web development job or something uh so i went in there uh and they focused on the video part of my resume i had i had edited a lot in you know just uh, casually in high school and a little bit in in college um and so uh they hired me on as an intern i did ship a lot of t-shirts uh but then they <laughs> they eventually hired me on full-time as a video producer uh, at the website giantbomb.com that's quite a start now were they were they as notorious at the time like giant uh, and this is actually probably not going to look good on me giant bomb is one of those those um outlets that's kind of a blind spot for me i know jared's a um you know big follower big fan of giant bomb but i mean was it was it uh as big a deal at the time as it is now or were you part of were you fundamental in in helping it become the uh the behemoth that it is currently all of the guys who were there when i got there which were uh jeff gersman ryan davis Vinny caravella and brad shoemaker uh they had all come from GameSpot uh, as a, or I guess in a, in a reaction to um, the firing of Jeff Gersman, who uh, was let go from GameSpot. There's a there's a whole story about that. If you want to look it up, you'll find it on Google under a Gerstman Gate. Um, but it, it, there was this there was this exodus from GameSpot, and uh, Giant Bomb was created sort of in in response to to that. Uh, I did not follow GameSpot uh, as a um, as a game fan. I was more of a one-up guy, so I I knew who Jeff Gersman was. I didn't know what he looked like, um, but so so when I when I met everyone, I had to ask what their names were. Like I had no idea who they were. I knew how the video game business went. I had followed it for a long time, watching the one-up show and listening to their podcast, and I didn't really have a sense as to. And it was tough to tell the size and the impact of that stuff, but um went like from the time that i got there there was already a community around there um that has that has only grown uh since since i got there that's basically how this podcast came to be steve and i have a film and media degree um and we're like well we can make things and we enjoy video games so let's make a podcast and then so we did one about game design which we really have no business talking about other than we really like it yeah and you're in since starting this podcast, it's really opened my eyes to just how vast the journalism space is, like how many people there are to know and, and projects and properties out there and all that stuff. It's it's one of the things I've really enjoyed about doing this is is getting to speak with everyone and talk to everyone and learn their stories, but also like like getting to you know, experience something like Giant Bomb, which for me had been, like I said, a, a blind spot, but getting to sort of like introduce myself to to that group of people and, and the work that they're doing. So it, it's it's funny to hear that you sort of have a, a similar experience stepping into that space. Yeah. And, you know, it's a it's a constantly evolving industry and there's so many different ways to to look at it and enjoy it because it is so vast. 
Um, so yeah, it's 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 really fun to to have been a part of uh, one angle on on Giant Bomb, uh, and then to kind of explore a different angle with uh, with what I'm currently doing. So how did you make the transition from Giant Bomb into doing Cloth Map? Um, I think it was there was just this feeling uh, that I got that, you know, I, I absolutely loved my time at Giant Bomb, um, but I, I kind of got this feeling that time was running out for me to try something weird. <laughs> uh, I like weird. Weird's great. Yeah. And, and you know, I, <laughs> I turned 30 uh, and maybe that was like a, a like a, you know, a, a kick in the pants. It was like, listen, you got it. If you want to do something out there and strange, now is the time to do it. So, you know, it was it was scary to to leave my job, especially a job that I absolutely loved, um, and kind of jump without looking. But I I didn't feel like I had any other option. So uh, that's the that's the bit of solace that I that I took in that. So, what is it specifically about Cloth Map that made you want to? Um to do this like why a documentary series why about video games like what what was the besides turning 30 what was sort of the the driving force behind creating it yeah so i i've really enjoyed uh traveling for for years and i i was lucky enough to to do it at giant bomb um you know as as part of my job uh a number of times patrick klepek and i went to Iceland. We did a number of trips to E3. Um, Brad Shoemaker and I went to uh, South Korea, uh, a handful of other trips. Ryan Davis and I went up to Vancouver. Um, and each one of those trips was just so much fun and so enlightening and, uh, and, and challenging that, you know, I, I wanted to see if, if I could incorporate my love of traveling and games together um, into, into a project that not only satisfied my own goals, but was valuable to other people. Because I think that, you know, the, the video game audience is not one dimensional. They don't just like video games only and that's it, right? They, they because they like video games, I think that lends itself to, to people who like to try new things and, you know, um, are always looking for something new. So uh, that's what I love and find in in traveling to different places and i thought that that would be a really good venn diagram um for for an audience yeah you and <laughs> you and danny o'dwyer like you guys got it figured out I, I love traveling as well and i would i would love to find a way to spin my love of video games and travel together so you're out there you're out there living the dream international <laughs> production is no joke man i mean i work in tv and that's a nightmare so uh Kudos for you for making that your your career now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it can be a challenge. On the on the topic of international travel, is there some place with cloth map that you you really want to go to that you haven't had the opportunity yet, or like some dream place that seems like it might be difficult for you to get to? What's your what's your like one place you really want to go? I mean, the the one place I really wanted to go was uh, Chernobyl, uh, and that was that was our first trip. So I'm kind of I'm kind of just it's all downhill from here working my way <laughs> marking my way down like you know the the list here and the the cool thing about I think the the approach that we're taking with cloth map is that games are a, a global phenomenon right and they're they're intrinsic to humanity the the desire to play and and what play can do for our society so 
it's not like I, I don't feel hamstrung by the video game angle. If I did, I think I would just be making trip after trip to Japan, you know, yeah. um, or, you know, South Korea to look at Starcraft, you know, things like that. So I, the challenge for me um, is to and it's, you know, it's a self-imposed challenge, but it's to to pick the country first and then uncover the, the salient angles in the the content so yeah we're just working working our way through uh you know this we're trying to keep it varied so we went to ukraine first and then brazil which are pretty different places <laughs> um cuba is is our next trip and it's it's in the same i guess general vicinity of brazil but it's uh it's still a pretty different place it's different from <laughs> most places on earth um, so yeah, we're, we're trying to, you know, in, in the spirit of getting a, a good cross section of the world, we're, we're trying to, to keep it, keep it varied. I, I knew that Brazil had like kind of like their own gaming industry because I, you know, you, you run into people from Brazil and online gaming all the time with your series. It was honestly the first time I knew anything about like that crazy, the, the piracy aspect of it and how it's like, I think one of the things that you said was that sometimes the piracy drove hi uh, hardware sales so much that yeah. people were making entire systems to just run pirated games. And I thought that was super cool. And like I have not been exposed to that angle from a video game history before. So like, yeah, I think it's really it's... cool, like picking that country first and then finding those kind of untold stories or lesser known uh, angles on it is a really interesting way. I think you got a really cool thing there. Thank you. Yeah, Brazil's Brazil's wild. Uh, it's it's like a mirror universe to you know the 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 industry that we are used to. Yeah, and I I really appreciate the the work that you're doing and and like the work that Daniel Dwyer is doing as well. We've talked about it on this show before. I think it's very easy for video games to seem like like toys or like idle entertainment, but I think that by getting out into the world and showing that video games have a have a global impact and that. They're representing these real places and people. You start to paint a picture that video games are art. As I stumble through like a very poor metaphor, I'm sick, guys. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that's really cool that they draw attention to these things that I, I personally haven't really seen in in any other documentary series. Now I'm going to step out of the way and let you guys uh, talk about flight for a little bit because I know you guys are both. Uh, Really into airplanes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, Steve, uh, I don't know. You, you finally let me. Does this mean I have to give you a whole episode about Proteus? I've, if you're letting well, me do a plane episode. I think we've had several full episodes about <laughs> Proteus so far. So I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I am a um, I'm a wannabe pilot. I have not had the time or funds yet to completely pursue that hobby. But uh, I will hopefully soon. Drew, like, I'm curious, like, what sparked your interest in aviation? What What is your background there? Because I know that um, you started your training while you were at uh, Giant Bomb. How is that going? Yeah. Is that something that you're still pursuing? I am, yes. Slow, slowly but surely. It's a long process when you have a full-time job, and ClothMap is a, is a full-time job. Uh, but I, I have always loved planes um, since I was a kid. As long as I can remember, planes in space uh, have, have been a, a, a passion of mine forever, you know, it takes a lot of money, so I, I had saved up uh, a lot over the years, and and finally, I think it sort of in in the same spirit of like, all right, I I'm an adult. It's time to kind of take charge here and do the things that I actually want to do. 
uh, I decided to, to actually give flying a, a real shot and pursue my pilot's license. And that was, oh, that was like a year and a half ago. And I'm, I'm still working at it slowly. But it's been, it is one of the most challenging things I've done from a physical and mental perspective. It is way more, it requires way more concentration um, and just straight up knowledge than, than I had ever expected. But it's the kind of stuff that I'm fascinated by. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, but uh, I'm really enjoying it. Are you just going for your private pilot's license? Do you have plans to maybe expand that into like a, a CFI or anything? Uh, just just private for now. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't see a. I mean, it's it's nice to always have skills like that that you can that you could turn into, um, you know, a career if things go bad. Uh, f- flying though is a it's another strange industry, just like the game industry. Oh yeah. Um, it's one of those. There's actually a lot of parallels because, uh, at least from uh, the few pilots, the professional pilots that I've talked to, it's it's the kind of industry like the game industry that they can exploit their employees because their employees love what they do and will take less money for it. Yeah. Um, so you can't earn really a, a, a reasonable wage until you get to like commercial flying flying passenger jets anything below that you're flying for peanuts basically or you're just flying for hours to to get to the uh the big boys which just does not sound appealing to me i would rather have flying be something fun that i enjoy so yeah private private pilot uh first then maybe instrument rating i i think that (laughs) that is a whole other that would basically be the entire process again yeah uh to get your instrument rating but th- i think that would be really cool to be able to fly in the clouds and stuff and um not be limited by weather i think that'd be that'd be really great i've always tried to justify i mean i've wanted to be a pilot since i can remember wanting to do anything and i've always you know i've, I've also wanted to be in filmmaking and tv production and that was the the direction i took with my education and uh, i've always kind of justified it I'm like well i should still you know, like i still want to fly but then, you know, maybe I can also use that because I could shoot footage from the air and, you know, <laughs> and then drones came out and I was like, well, shit. So I guess they don't uh, really need uh, aerial photographers, much less pilots who are also photographers. So uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, trying to convince my wife to uh, let me spend that money, I think, is uh, going to have to take a whole nother angle here <laughs> these well, days. Well, all, all of your uh, logged flight hours are leading to this this moment on this podcast, Jared, it's all going to pay off right now. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, this is this is what I've been working towards my whole life. Well, let's jump into it, Jared. Um, let's start out with a little history of flight in video games. Why don't you Why don't you take it away? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I, I guess in the back of my mind, I knew this, but so many of our topics kind of start out with the war industry. I guess um, the use of electronics to simulate flight is goes all the way back to the 40s, probably earlier, and it was uh, really expensive to do. People were training on simulators, um, you know, around World War II. Um, They were using simulators to train commercial pilots as well, but, you know, computers were huge. They weren't probably the best setup. It's also also not the kind of simulation that that I think people envision in their mind when they think about a a modern simulation. Most of it was just, like, how to fly based on your your dials and stuff like not, not you can tell I'm a, you can tell I'm a pilot dials and stuff. 
you know the, the spinny bits but, but yeah you know so simulating data and and using mm -hmm. that to, to exactly um you know we talk about space war that comes up quite frequently in this episode or in this podcast as well but in 1962 uh, space war came out and it might have been one of the earliest representations of space flight in a game i mean yeah it's it's one of the earliest video games period i mean by by the way that people define video game the very first one in some way was trying to uh, represent the idea of of flying in some way have you uh, played space war yet have you had a chance uh i have not drew have you have you had any up have you had any experience with space war or computer space or any of those like really early space flight games i feel like i may have played some variation of that at uh at california extreme um which is a a, a yearly arcade expo down in um uh, California. I got to play a little bit of it on a main machine. Feels real bad to play. I mean, by all modern standards, like I don't know what you would expect, but you can definitely see where like asteroids drew probably very heavily from it. Oh yeah, for sure. After Space War in the 70s, Sega came out with Jet Rocket. It was designed by engineer uh, Hiyashi Suzuki. Uh, Jet Rocket is an electromechanical game developed oh, wow. for arcades. I'm looking at it right now. It's like a. It looks like, um. The dashboard of an airplane. It's got all the dials and a, a yoke and stuff. For people who don't know what the term electromechanical is, it's probably the easiest way to describe it is think of something like a pinball machine where there's sort of a combination of video game and mechanical components going on. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about this. As Jared describes the game a little further, I can kind of fill in on what the actual mechanical parts of the game are. Yeah, so the player uh, controls an aircraft from a cockpit view. And you're flying over a 3D environment, and you can control which direction uh, the aircraft is flying, and you can always you're always kind of looking slightly downwards. Uh, the point of the game was to destroy targets like oil reserves and docks by shooting them with missiles. And I guess way back in episode five, we we talked about Maze War, uh, which was came out in 1973 as being the first first person shooter game. Um, but some people will might consider Jet Rocket to be to be in that genre as well. I guess it's sort of doing its own thing though. It yeah, it in this case it kind of depends on how you define a first person shooter and how you define a video game. <laughs> like there's two sort of different definitions going on here. Too. And it almost like doesn't matter outside this podcast. No, it it's it's being pedantic for sure. But there, I mean it, these are conversations that go around like what is what is the first? So the the mechanical part of Jet Rocket is the the map that you're flying over is actually like a physical map that's being scrolled beneath the player. Maybe I'll try and include a link to the uh, the video of of how it's played when we post this episode. But it you can actually see the inside workings of the machine in this video I'll post. It's it's actually like pretty complex, like how this map kind of scrolls beneath the player, and then you're you're shooting these rockets down at everything. But I wanted to bring up the Maze War as the first first person shooter because I think that there's there might be some things that sort of change the way that we define what the first, is, you know, what the first video game in a genre is. So back when we were talking with Khalif in our stealth episode, we talked about 005 being the first stealth video game ever made. And I think that, oh, and then, sorry, and then later we, we had corrected it with the game uh, Manbiki Shonen or Shoplifting Boy as actually being the first one. I didn't but know I think that's what that meant. Yeah, shoplifting boy. You're literally just like stealing from a 7-Eleven. I think it's actually a 7-Eleven too. 
But I think that when we're talking about things being first, it's in some ways kind of defined by what's successful in the West. Like I think we have this very like Western mentality about these things because 005 was a very successful arcade game in the West where Mambiki Shonen was sort of this like niche computer game uh, that really didn't extend outside of Japan. And that might have been the same thing that happened here with Jet Rocket is Jet Rocket didn't really see a whole lot of success in the United States because they had shopped it to some places to manufacture arcade cabinets in the United States. And instead, a lot of these companies turned around with just like clones of it for their own purposes, for their own profits. So it didn't really, it didn't really reach that like critical, I don't know, critical mass that like public consciousness, uh, this game Jet Rocket. So I think that might be one of the reasons it gets overlooked when we're discussing like what is the first first person shooter where Maze Wars definitely saw a lot more success. I have good news for you. It, it appears that there is an arcade cabinet for Jet Rocket on sale on eBay for $125. It does not appear to be working. <laughs> um, I mean, it seems expensive to make, right? Like there's a lot of like mechanical parts in here, like m- much like a, a pinball machine takes like tons of money to maintain. And I'm sure this thing had its own issues. Yeah. And I could be I could be way off base in my assertion, but I I kind of get the sense that that's what's defining what the the first in these categories is are. It's like the first to be successful in the United States is what we should probably be recategorizing this as. Sure, I'll roll with that. All right, let's let's uh let's jump into the nitty-gritty. Uh I got a few I got a few questions to get us into this conversation and I'll I'll address this first one to you, Drew. Okay. If you if you could have any superpower in the world, let me let me let me go back on this. <laughs> if you could choose between two superpowers in the world, I'm sick. I'm just gonna say that every time. <laughs> if you could choose between invisibility and flight, what uh, what would you choose? Oh man, this is the this is the age old icebreaker. I mean, not to put words in your mouth, but I mean, you could you can always get in a plane to fly. Yeah, it's different though. Like, what if you could do like wingsuit stuff, but not have to worry about gravity? You know, like you could skim treetops and that's man, a good point. that'd be really cool. I'm just going to, I'm just going to jump in here and say that there, there's only one correct answer to this question. It, I it, think it, it, it's definitely I, flight. I think it's flight. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, good. <laughs> I think it'd be really fun to, <laughs> to mess around with them. Like be, I would love to be a fly on the wall in like, you know, uh, political discussions or, uh, yeah, like walk around North Korea invisibly. Like flight, um, you're just kind of like you're enjoying the world and you get to see a lot of stuff. There's almost like not a whole lot of wholesome things that you're going to do with invisibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well put, Jared. I mean, I've seen I've seen the, the documentary Hollow Man with Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. So well. No, <laughs> don't don't go watch that movie. If, if you haven't seen it yet, just <laughs> save yourself the time and trouble and don't watch that one. <laughs> All right. Follow up question, Drew. All right. Do you invert your Y axis outside of flying games? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. thank God. All yes. right. We got we, we got another one. We kind of uh, asked that question <laughs> of most of our guests, and Steve and I, and now you, appear to be in a minority from our uh, very scientific study that we're doing yeah. with this. The, uh, I will uh, put the caveat, though, that it this is with a joystick. Yes. Because oh, I yes. do know yeah, people, who, I know one person who plays first-person shooters with a mouse and inverts the y-axis well they're a monster 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I, gonna, I don't know. You should what stop being friends life. with that person immediately. That's way <laughs> yes, that's crazier than I am willing to go. I think I think Drew is now our second guest after Jamie Madigan to play video games with the inverted Y axis on an analog stick. In our guest section from our website, I, re- I definitely need to include that as like a stat. Oh yeah. Yeah, we need to go and for the guests that we forgot to ask or people who were on the show before we started asking the question, we should definitely reach back out and, and figure out. It's important work <laughs> that we're doing. Yeah, that's a great one, actually. <laughs> that's a good idea. Well, Drew, what was the what was the first video game that you remember playing that had flight? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I think two stick out for me, and I don't know which one came first, but Pilot Wings was uh, for the Nintendo 64. Uh, it was game. a big one, I think, because it was like it was a launch title or at least was very early on. And seeing that and Wave Race and Mario was just this like maelstrom of, of unbelievability uh, for me. Uh, just so blown away by by the 64's graphics and, and oh my gosh, you can fly around and it's a real world. Yeah, that game was, Pilot Wings was crazy because before that with like, with flight games, at least, especially if you were uh, in the Nintendo family of consoles, you had, Star Fox, you know, like that was the that was the like really the only other experience with with flight in this sort of like I don't know, I'll say like true sense of flight that you had before and then Pilot Wings opens up this world in this huge way. Yeah, I, I would say Pilot Wings would is even more true than Star Fox cuz Star Fox you're kind of, you know, on that rail, right? Mm-hmm. Uh but Pilot Wings you have freedom to kind of go anywhere. But I think another big one for me was um, at my uncle's house. He had a flight sim set up. I think it was Microsoft Flight Simulator '95. Nice. Um, yeah, right on. And he had uh, a joystick and everything. This like beautiful matte black, red buttons. Just looks like it was right out of you know an F-16. Uh, and we, I remember getting in. I think I, I loaded up a Learjet and. Flew as fast as I could underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, and I was, I was hooked from there. I think. Was your uncle like, "That's not how you do this. That's not what this is for." <laughs> Absolutely not. No, he loved it. That's funny. When I was in junior high, we had a um, we had a shop class. For whatever reason, in the shop class, they also had us do like flight simulator stuff as well. I think I think the teacher was, he was. Uh, I don't know. He didn't give a shit, really. Like he was just like, whatever, whatever. You can play computer games or cut your your finger off with a bandsaw. I don't really care. Cool. <laughs> he seemed like he had one foot out the door all the time. But <laughs> we um, on the the flight simulator, which is what I you know like I gravitated towards being a a big video game nerd at the time. Um, he gave us these like little assignments, like you know take off and and do a barrel roll. And but one of the assignments was he had to land the plane. So me being the like pain in the ass kid I was was like, I'm going to try and find the goofiest way to do this possible. So I just put my plane in like a nosedive and then just, I, I did this over and over again until I got it to work in this flight simulator. I put my plane in a nosedive and then just tried to like yank up on the controls as hard as I could to get it to just like, you know, skim on the ground and land. Uh-huh. And uh, he gave me an F on the assignment because he said, that's not how, that's not how you land a plane. <laughs> I was like, but I did, like, I satisfied the requirements of, of the assignment. I seem to remember that game, like, you had to, like, print out a graph of your, of yeah. your flight. <laughs> oh, mine, wow. And mine's, mine's just this vertical line that then just takes this sharp turn into a horizontal line. <laughs> Do you remember what game it was? 
I don't. It was, I don't know. It was running on like a computer that at the time was probably 10 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was and, like something you definitely had to load from DOS. But yeah, that was a, that was a fun experience for me in these in these flight games. Jared, what was your what was your first memory uh with with flight in a video game? That was Steve and I go way back, so we went to the same junior high and I, I definitely remember that uh, playing that game. Um that's probably the earliest I remember growing up um one of my friends who was one of my neighbors, he had a computer game and it was a vertical, I don't remember which one it was because there's so many of them, but it was a vertical shooter um like bullet hell game but you were flying a jet. Um, and sure, it, like riding or something. Probably, yeah. And it was like super hard. And I think it was just a shareware game. So it was just like the first like couple levels, and we played that game all the time. Um, and that's probably, I mean, that's barely a flying game. You just, you know, you know how those games work. But um, I we we loved it. Oh yeah, I I love those style games too. Um, there was a I think it was a riding game uh, at the the local roundtable pizza. Oh uh, yeah. So after after little league games, we'd go get pizza, and then I would play a, at least a few rounds of of riding. And I think for me, my first experience with with flight in a game, at least the first time I remember going like where where like flight opened the game up in ways that it had had not been in the past was uh, Super Mario Three, when you hmm. get the uh, the Tanuki suit and you yeah. can kind of like take to the skies. And that was one of the first times where I was like, what? Like whoa! Like this game becomes a very different game with the ability to fly. And flight ad in that game adds like new challenges and new layers to that game. But that that was the that was probably the first. And then after that, my my first like sort of dedicated flying game that I remember owning was uh, when I got my PlayStation One. I got oh, what was the name of it? Oh, I'm gonna have to look this up if I can't think of it. It's gonna bug me if I can't. It's the uh, Jared, help me out. It was the they recently. No, it wasn't Ace Combat. They did a remake of it for the PlayStation Three that was sort of like a uh, open world combat game, and you could hop into airplanes. It was. Huh. That's gonna bug me. I may, I may have to. Uh, <laughs> my, my dad, my dad would remember the name of it. I may have to reach out to him and and issue some sort of <laughs> correction to this segment. I did play um, some Ace Combat too growing up, and um, I don't know. Maybe it was just because it was so long ago. But I jumped into an Ace Combat game like two or three years ago, and I don't remember it being so anime. Is, was I it think always that got pretty nuts? Yeah, I, like it started like going kind of off the rails. I remember it being like sort of a realistic military shooter, and then you know, fast forward a decade, and uh, I was like, I don't know what this game is. I uh, I had a uh, uh, let's see, Arrow Fighters, I think is what it was for the Dreamcast. Oh man, uh, and it was like. You were flying jets, but they were, it was like an aerobatic sim, and it was impossible. It was so hard. I didn't get very far. Steve, did you find it? No, I'm about to just give up on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's going to bug me. Thunder something? Something thunder? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I don't even know how to start looking for it. That's such a shame to hear that about your teacher giving you an F for that, because I think that's <laughs> that's kind of what I love about flying games, is that you you can experiment with weird stuff. We did a we did a series at a giant bomb uh, called Flight Club where we would just play different simulators and it was me, Vinny Caravella and uh Dave Snyder um who was a, a web developer at uh, a giant bomb or was at the time. And every time I got in a new airplane, 
Vinny had me turn upside down and eject <laughs> just to see what would happen. And like, that's, that's exactly what you should do with flight simulators. Be crazy in this weird, you know, hyper-realistic environment. Go nuts. So I guess maybe for this conversation, let's maybe set some parameters on what we're talking about when we're talking about flight in games. Because um, I think video games have sort of a, a history with going airborne i'll call it and and i think that like where where do we draw the line because there's things in the past like uh like the tanuki suit and mario but there were games that had like double jumps or rocket jumps or i mean just a regular jump in general like where do we draw the line when we're when we're talking about flight in a video game to me the conversation really starts you know outside of simulators of course because those have kind of always been their own side thing to video games once we started to get like open worlds I think the conversation gets interesting because there's a lot, you know, the, 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 the creators make like a really beautiful world, but then they give you the means in which to soar over it. And I think that um, maybe some earlier examples of that, they didn't really take into account some of the consequences that has to the gameplay. And I'm thinking specifically um, about games like GTA when that started happening. Yeah, Drew, when you think about flight in games, do you sort of agree with Jared in this regard that the things that's because it's certainly true for me, the thing that jumps out to me is when flight becomes sort of like an added component to a game. And uh, and, yeah, and that's th what interests me in this discussion. Yeah, I, th I think um, to differentiate it from something like, you know, uh, a special jump or a rocket jump or something, it's 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 different from that because it's it's sustained and it's controlled in its verticality, right? So I, I would say even, you know, like an airship in Final Fantasy, that's not flight. Like that's... You oh, are, well, I'll just you erase that part from my show notes. <laughs> you're technically... You're, yes, you're... The thing, your avatar is elevated from the game world, but you're basically just moving or I don't know. It's not... It's not, uh, it's not differentiated from any other kind of... Um, you know, two-dimensional, two-dimensional movement like that. Uh, but I think, I think the Tanuki suit is, I don't know. This is, it's a tough one, but it I will is, say right? the reward uh, or, or flying comes as a late game reward. Always like it, getting the plane in GTA is always like the big one, right? Or mm -hmm. finding the biggest jump in like a snowboarding game is, is the apex, right? So they flight is this, it's a, it's always a reward. They always uh, game designers always put it later in the game or hide it behind a lot of challenges because it's it's um, it sh it should be a reward. It, it it's it's unlocking more freedom. I agree with that. I think that there's a, a very particular reason that developers include flight towards the end of games, and and we'll definitely get into this a lot more. But I think that you know flight in a way is this like very it, it allows you to go anywhere in the game right so i think for from a developer standpoint like you want to sort of gate that ability off until you've already sort of uh shuffled the player through everything that you want them to see and then you go like okay now now that you've seen everything now we'll just kind of give you the ability to get wherever you want to go in this world and i think that that's one of the reasons why that typically is sort of a, a late game reward in those cases yeah so i it's interesting because I think of a I I remember flight in Grand Theft Auto, Vice City. I don't know if you guys remember this at all, but like that's a game where you're 
you could fly an airplane, kind of, but it would eventually like the wings it, were broken or something. Like yeah. I forget how they justified that. I don't know. They they definitely looked like stubby wings, I think, and then you're just sp- supposed to extrapolate that that's it's it's a, a broken airplane in some way. But I remember that one. You would have to hold. You'd have to like force the plane down while you're on takeoff, and then when you let go, it would just like spring up into the sky and then constantly lose altitude. It wasn't usable for anything in the game. I don't recall. I think people like eventually figured out how to they they got good enough at however that those physics were handled to just keep it in the air for a long time. I don't um, believe it. I'd I just remember. It. I know. Like I just remember. Like there's gotta there's gotta be a way to fix this thing, right? Like I remember playing that game and just trying to like figure out like how to stop having to fly that that shitty plane. Yeah, I I think for the purpose of this discussion, flight like the definition of flight might have to be more like, uh, like the the definition of pornography, where like you you know it when you see it, right? Like <laughs> it's hard to define what flight is in a game, but when you when you're playing a game that then opens up with flight, I think you you understand that experience. I, hopefully, our listeners will will kind of know what I'm talking about. Like when when you're given that that aerial freedom in a game, it definitely elicits a certain like feeling and emotion in me in video games um, where, where maybe it's kind of hard to define. Cause I would, de- I would define the grand theft auto vice city airplane as flying, even though technically it's falling with style or whatever Buzz Lightyear says. Nice. <laughs> That's a very timely, timely. reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Drew, what, what video games in your mind implemented flight in, in really good ways that, that stick out to you as being good examples of flight, in uh, in the video game space, that's a good question. Um, I think, and maybe this is again a gray area, but the I, the cap in Mario sixty four, I think, was again one of those rewards that it was also very different from other flying experiences I had I had had before. You know, it's 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 not it's not like a one-to-one you are an airplane and you're powered. It's like this different kind of gliding soaring that I think it translates differentiated from flying. It translates soaring specifically to, to the player in a, in a really, in a really cool way. Yeah. And that, that's actually a, a really great example because that's a game that again, kind of has you play through these levels from one dimension, right? You're running around on the ground and you can jump and double jump and stuff. But, um, once you add the element of flight into those into that game, you get to experience those levels in a in a brand new way that you hadn't done before. It really opens that up to, you know, now you see each level as as a different kind of level. Like, oh, now that I can fly, what can I, you know, what can I do? Can I go under this thing? You know, you fly through a hoop or something that you know, you know that you'd only seen before, but now you have access to it, and then find new rewards in that way. So yeah, flight in that game was really cool i love how, how did the cap work game. i don't really remember uh you had to build up speed and you had to do like a, a triple jump it was like a jump 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 and then mario would take to the sky or you could fire your, yourself out of a cannon and oh, it was okay. it was just like it was just again like gliding like eventually you run out of of steam and you have to return to earth before you can take off again at least that's how at least that's how I remember it. Is that is that accurate, Drew? Uh yeah, and it's not I think it's important to note that it's not um you're not powered, so you're actually gliding. You can't get uh higher than you were, but you can 
you know, pitch down to gain momentum and then swoop back up. So um, it's not completely, you know, you're not Superman. Uh, you're you're basically a glider. Well, yeah, Superman 64 was terrible. Hopefully you're not Superman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other one that I, I think along those lines that really sticks out to me is um, this game, and I'm not sure it's still around anymore, called Rise of Flight. It's a like mid-20... 14 something like that um flight simulator for the pc and i think it went free to play but i actually don't think it's around anymore it might be i don't know uh anyway it's it's a world war one sim and it's different from anything that i've played because with world war one planes they're very underpowered like they're they have bad <laughs> engines um and they're all made of canvas and wood so they're these really low performance planes and so you have to take things like momentum into account when you're dogfighting so you know you can't just take for granted that you're a below somebody like in a you know an f-18 you can just pitch straight up and shoot them um you have to like plan ahead your movements because if i'm going to dive down this guy well then my momentum is going to carry me past him then i can i come back around again or is he going to be able to get behind me like that kind of stuff uh really really a cool game Hmm. Have you have you played that one, Jared? I have not. No, I'm I'm kind of looking at it on uh, Steam's store page right now. It looks is it still super available. Uh, yes. Yeah, okay, it looks cool. like it is. It's a, it's free to play now, and then it, it looks like there are all kinds of DLC for it. They'll they'll sell you the bullets separately. <laughs> Warhawk. Warhawk was the name of the game I was trying to think of earlier. Oh, Warhawk. Okay. Yeah, sure. Warhawk. And then they they did that uh, like the reboot for the I think it was PlayStation Three. Yeah. Uh, as like the open world combat game. Anyway, sorry. With the six axis that. control. You know, the original Warhawk was out before they even had the analog sticks on the the controller. So that was uh that was like, yeah, one of my one of my early like true flying game memories was was that one. It's terrible. Again, don't go play that one. <laughs> does not it that's one that does not hold up very well. Jared, what um what games do you think handle flight really well? Um, I mean, I am a big fan of flight and multiplayer games. One of my earlier memories of that is Battlefield. Um, yeah. We used to go to, you know, gaming cafes. We used to go to places and play that. And my favorite was just getting at a bomber and having everyone jump in. And then they would uh, parachute out and I would uh, probably drop bombs on top of them because I wasn't very good at that game. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, I remember just having fun. Like, I was like, I am just going to play transport. And then uh, later down the line... Uh, when I started playing the Arma games, they had a mode called, um, I think it was just like a King, King of the Hill mode, uh, where you would you would just try to hold an area, and, you know, anyone who knows an Arma game, those maps are gigantic, so I would always be the guy um, loading people into the plane and just literally flying around in circles, dropping people off, and that was, like, so much fun for me. Just being, the taxi, ever... just being a taxi driver? <laughs> Essentially, yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Did you ever play Desert Combat? I don't think so. It was a mod for, I think, Battlefield 1942. Yes, I did play Desert Combat. It was a little, uh, it was a little culturally insensitive, as I remember. You could be really? like, a, you could be a suicide bomber, I think. Oh wow, I don't remember that. I didn't play it very much because, uh, yeah, but it was like modern day military, um, mm -hmm. whereas 1942 was World War II. But I remember, <laughs> and this is probably why I didn't play very much. Like the first time I got in to a game, uh. We spawned, and I was right in front of a helicopter. So I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to fly everyone in, like just what you were saying, uh, fly everybody in, drop them off, 
uh, and I'm going to be the, the hero pilot. I get in, everyone loads in, and I immediately take off, flip over, and just pancake <laughs> and explode, <laughs> killing everyone. You have a lobby of, it, like, 60 people all yelling at you. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's The everyone's, controls are hard. Everyone's yeah. first experience flying a helicopter in any video game, I guarantee you, is, has yeah. the exact same experience. Like, you always just flip it right over on its back and blow up. <laughs> Helicopters are weird. They are, yeah. I don't even, I, I don't even know how they work in real life. I'm pretty sure they're held up by magic and wishes. It's, mm. it's basically a little bit of, you know, engineers went into it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you say engineer, I hear wizard. <laughs> for me, I, I think, for you know, I think a great example of flying in a game is Final Fantasy. Um, for me, it was Final Fantasy VII was the first time I was introduced to the idea of the flying ship, although I'm sure it preceded that. And, uh, Andrew, you can you can fight me on this if if you want. We'll we well, can set up, think, we can set up a time to meet in the schoolyard. Later. I think what I think where we'll definitely agree though is that it's uh, in the spirit of freedom um, that flight can give. The airship grants you that. Yeah, and I've said on the show before. I think Final Fantasy VII is sort of like a a, a master class in how to direct the player. There's it, this game came out before there were really like waypoints and 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 your radar constantly showing you where to go. But I never in that game felt like I was lost. Um, some people may disagree with that, but this is a game that handled flight in sort of a similar way that you were talking about drew where you don't really get flight until you've already kind of seen most of the world. And then they, and then they, um, they were really smart in only allowing it to land in certain places so that when they needed to, shuffle you through a new part of the game or through a specific part of the game you could only get there by landing in a specific spot and then you know walking to your destination and it I, I just think it was really smart the way that they incorporated flight in that game and uh, without letting it like really break the flow of it now and I have two conflicting memories of that airship it allowed you to get around anywhere pretty much but did it also um, mean that you didn't have to get in random battles? That's or correct. I, yeah, I, I seem to remember there were battles on the airship. Or were those just like a specific event? Yeah, you fight one of the uh, the big weapons in that in that game from the deck of the airship. But outside of that, you don't really. There's no random encounters that happen when you're flying. So it does give you the ability to bypass combat in those ways. But again, this is where I think that they did a good job with it because it doesn't break the pacing of that game. It's still like when you. When you have to go do something, you still have to get out of the airship and walk to these locations and still have to get in those encounters uh, that that are, you know, peppered throughout the world. So that's that's one of the reasons I like it. The other reason I, I kind of like this ship in that game is because of the way that they handled reaching the perimeters of the world. Uh, I think a lot of games, uh, if we look at like Battlefield uh especially like recent incarnations of battlefield when you get to the edges of the of the the, the battlefield I guess they they'll give you like a message like return return to the battlefield or you'll be blown up in three seconds two one boom and you blow up and it in that case that's like flight to me is this like expression of like true freedom uh, in a video game and when you encounter those limitations it, it sort of pulls me out of that experience of that like that um, fantasy fulfillment of, of being able to fly in this space. I think Final Fantasy VII did it kind of cool where it's just like when you get to the edge of the world, it just rolls over because you're you're flying over a planet. It makes sense that, that the world is around. I <laughs> I say that, but I don't I don't know how many people agree with that anymore. 
one of the one of the things that Battlefield has started doing lately that I don't really like is that you you spawn into you have to spawn into vehicles, especially planes, and you're already in the air. And like that was one of the things I liked most about original Battlefield games was you, you could like take off from an airfield and you could defend your airfield and uh, you would have to I don't think you had to land but you'd like fly over the airfield to to restock ammo uh, and they've taken that away from the game and it just kind of feels a little bit more empty when you're in flying vehicles now um, you, you just kind of spawn in the air and you try to get a kill or two before you know the entire map is focused on you and. Um, it just doesn't really feel like flying. It just kind of feels like you've taken the, the, the first person shooter, uh, and put it in the air a little bit. And it's, it, they, they've taken that like visceral feeling of flight away. There's, yeah, there's something very gratifying about being like boots on the ground and then hopping into an airplane and taking off and into the sky. Like that, that to me is like, yeah, it, it's like what you're saying. It's very visceral. It's like a gut level feeling of like newfound freedom an expression that that's really cool about flight in games. I really dislike when games give you the illusion that you're flying, but then are actually boxing you in or like magnetizing you back to a certain direction. Like I, I, I really, that's really annoying. I, I think one of the biggest uh, things that really excited me about no man's sky was be able, being able to go from the surface to space seamlessly. Uh, because you, that's one of those limitations that has just always persisted in video games. Like, yes, you, you've got a spaceship, but like, ah, you get high enough and then press a to go to space, you know, and then it's a load or something. Um, that, that game, I think, uh, one of the things it does really well is that sense of true unconstrained, um, movable freedom. I, yeah, I, I'm so glad that you, you brought this up. Because I think for a long time, uh, flight in games felt sort of like this ultimate uh, form of empowerment. It, you know, if we're if we're looking at empowerment the way that we had discussed it with uh, with Jenny, I think back in episode nineteen, where it's like about choice and about freedom. Flight was that. Flight was like you can go anywhere, do anything in a video game. And and, and as that's become a little more commonplace in games, especially open world games, the the next frontier is outer space and how do you give that sensation of you know go of, of of empowerment and and freedom when you're transitioning to outer space it always feels you know it, it it i agree with you it feels um artificial when it's like you know get to a certain altitude and press a button and now you're in the space part of this game or go to a dock and then you know you'll you'll transition to the outer space flight part but there is something really cool about this this modern group of games that's coming out that is allowing you to just take off from the planet surface and go into outer space and go to a different planet and land there, or go to a space station and land there. That that stuff is all really exciting to me and, and something I hope we see more of, even though I know No Man's Sky was kind of a, a, a critical failure. I don't know. I don't know if it was a, a financial failure for Hello Games, but I know it's been sort yeah, of a and, rough road for them. Yeah, and... the I think it's important to like they didn't they didn't fail in that respect, right? They yeah. didn't fail in the movement, uh, there was the mobility respect. But I think there's a caveat to that as well, which is when you give that to the player, why are you giving it to them? There has to be a reason 
for that to exist because there have been there have been space games where you can go anywhere but it's empty right like or like why why do i have to actually land my craft every single time why can't i just hit a button like it's cool the first couple times but i'm playing a video game here this is not a job yeah yeah I, I think you're exactly right. I, but I think that question of why has always been important in video games in regards to the idea of flight. That there, there's entire video games that are just dedicated to nothing but flight, right? So yeah. if, you're, if your game is uh, like an MMO, and, I, and I'll start talking about World of Warcraft here. Like if, if your game is World of Warcraft, wh you know, why introduce flight? I think flight being introduced to that game was kind of problematic in some ways because I don't think they gave full consideration to the idea that flight adds this whole other layer to your game, a, a layer that some people dedicate an entire game to. So, you know, you know, so when we're talking about, you know, expanding it in outer space, I think that there's still hurdles that a lot of developers need to overcome when they're, when they're thinking about even just the, the most basic, you know, addition of, of flight to their game. Jared, what, what what was your thought on on the ability to fly in in World of Warcraft? Because I've got a lot of thoughts on it, but I want to let you talk about it for a second. World of Warcraft was and your second is up. All right, so uh, in World of <laughs> sorry, go um, ahead. Dad jokes in full force. Oh uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm practicing. I mean, he's a little too young to get my dad jokes now, but in a year <laughs> or two, he's gonna he's gonna be loving these things. Um, I did play a, a bit of EverQuest before WoW, but WoW was probably like my first honest attempt at enjoying a MMO, um, and I really enjoyed it. I played I played a lot of uh, vanilla World of Warcraft, and it was a lot of exploration, getting to know the world. Like, what's over here? Let's run over here. Oh, I can't go there because like every enemy is killing me immediately. Um, you know, finding weird ways to zigzag through the forests to avoid, you know, the, those things that uh, could one-shot you. Um, and w as soon as they introduced the flying mechanics and um, fast travel, it kind of took that away. You know, it, it, it made the game seem less mysterious. You could see how, you know, the sausage is made. And it kind of took it a little bit away from me. And then, you know, there's entire sections of the game where you just, you would never have to see it. You know, it's like they put a lot of thought into the layout and the art design. And then they just kind of subvert all of that with being able to just kind of soar over it and not have to deal with, you know, whatever dangers or obstacles they put in your way. Um, I understand why eventually they did it because, you know, like Drew was saying, no one wants to spend 20 minutes just walking across the map to do something. I mean, I do sometimes. I do. You know, that, yeah, it's just, <laughs> um, you know, you're trying to appeal to a mass market. So, being able to get where you wanted quickly, I think, was was important for that. But uh, for me, that kind of just killed a very, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is for it. Just like that, the mystery of, of ex exploration and discovery. Um, and Certain that's just kind of where I fell off. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the kind of person who never used the fast travel in Skyrim or, or Fallout. <laughs> like, I'm the, I'm the person who actually walked everywhere. Um I'm with maybe, you. Maybe that's why I didn't enjoy those games very much. <laughs> I think, yeah, and that's actually a really interesting point because I, I, I also, I think to keep my sense of immersion, uh, tends not to use things like fast travel in games like that. But uh, I think I can kind of, you know, ruin it for myself because then I get bored, you know, um, 
or then I end up breaking my own rules and then I'm like, well, then why am I even doing this? So, uh, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing to, to balance. Now, Drew, did you play World of Warcraft? Uh, not really. No. Um, I, for a few hours, I, I felt like once I was in the game industry, I felt like I needed to because it was because everyone was playing it and it was kind of like, I equated it to being like golf for the business world mm. where, you know, uh, that's where deals would happen, right? And that's yeah. where contacts would get made. Um, and so I tried it, but I, I think I had a real problem with it not having an ending. That's like that. That's like that person at the party who goes like, I haven't seen Star Wars. You go, what? <laughs> but I, you know, I agree with a lot of things that Jared was saying about flight in that game in that, in that it allowed you to to skip large parts of that game. And I didn't get into that game until Cataclysm came out. And I'm not one of those people who like lost my life to that game. I, I think I played it for about six months, got my fill and was out. Um, but I think the flight might've been part of the reason that I didn't stick with that game longer because for me, the big draw of MMOs or, and, and those kinds of games is that sense of discovery and adventure. And once flight was introduced, it takes so much of that away. Um, before World of Warcraft, I played a lot of Final Fantasy XI, and that's a game that makes you fight tooth and nail for every new location that you get to experience. Like being able to see a new place in that game is an accomplishment, and there's no, at, at least at the time, there were no flying mounts. It was like you you had to go everywhere by walking or taking a chocobo. Um, so for me to then go to World of Warcraft, that in some ways took away a lot of what I was looking for in an MMO. It, it kind of ruined that experience for me yeah and then you can like see people who already have mounts and you don't have one yet so you're, you're still walking through all of these places and you're like what is this doesn't even matter like i'm just i'm all i'm working towards is getting that mount so i can skip all this and then that sense of that's that feeling you know i think it's that feeling that most people have when they talk about early mmos is like people don't really want to play an mmo anymore they they want to they want to have that feeling that they first felt when uh they were new and exciting and um I think I think that is the difference. I think that's a really good point. Drew, are there any games that uh, introduce the mechanic of flight but don't necessarily encourage you to use it or, or, or games where you don't prefer to use that method at all? Hmm. Um, I've been thinking of a way to bring up Halo uh, like I do with most video game discussions. You're like, how can I, how um, can I make this about Halo? <laughs> And 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 I think from a from a flying perspective, that game is really interesting because the the aircraft behave very they're bizarre when you compare them to other games, um, and they're somewhat limited, but they're but they're very capable of doing their jobs. I do like flying those games, but uh, flying in those games, um, but they are. They're almost like tools. They're not. They're not this big. It's not like. Um, doesn't make you overpowered in a way that, like, say, the helicopter in Battlefield does. Where, like, exactly, you, you run to the helicopter because that's the best tool in the game. Um, right. Yeah. So I, okay. I think I guess what I'm trying to say is that they're they're balanced with the rest of the game, and gotcha. so they're they're you use them you use them for specific purposes, and and I don't know. I I, I like that, but it's not. They're not the end all be all like they are in a lot of other games. Yeah, I think that's a great point, talking about the way that these things are balanced in a game. Um, and I think that I think that um, 
that balance is important in a single player context, uh, you know, as well as as a multiplayer context, making it so that that flight isn't the yeah, like you said, the be all end all in in all cases um, is a good way to to make flight additive, but not uh, I don't know the only thing that you do once it becomes available. Uh, right. Jared, Jared, is there anything that you can think of that that fits into this category? Um, well, I didn't play a lot of it, but the uh, Saints Row game, what was it four? Saints Row four, where you got superpowers. Uh, the the Saints Row series, it was a lot about like having cool cars and 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 zipping around the city on the ground, and then they give you uh, in Saints Row four superpowers. You basically just fly forever. Um, so there was like no reason at all to interact with the driving system like why why would you ever drive anywhere in that game it would it wasn't they they made that less fun and um and that was a lot of the reason i didn't really care to play that in that world that big open world is because well i'm not going to be on the ground very often seeing any of it so um you know it i think that was they i'm sure they did it for their own reasons but for me that that really that took it out of it for me yeah, I think Grand Theft Auto V, for people who have played it, I think that one did a, a really good job of, of balancing flight. And I think the way that it balanced flight was it just made the the driving mechanics and your sense of ownership over your car uh, and, and those sorts of things a, a lot of fun. Like it was, it was actually, I think, more fun to drive um, and it was more fun to upgrade your car and it was a little bit more prohibitive to... Um, you know, maintain an airplane, like you had to have a place to store the airplane and you had to get to the specific airfield instead of just, you know, having your garages that you have all over the city with your individual cars littered around in them. Um, and not that flight was not that flight was bad in that game. I mean, I had I had fun doing the flying missions in Grand Theft Auto five, but I never felt like that was the the way to get around that world. For me, it was always the the driving. So I, I liked the way that that game balanced flight with uh with driving um there's there's another game that i want to kind of bring up here uh which is infamous have did either of you guys play the infamous series at all not a lot very little infamous was uh i think a cool one because it was you know it's a game about being a superhero but they took a very specific approach to the way that you locomote in that world they never in any of the games gave you the ability to fly which at first I was like, it's really weird to have this game where you're the superhero, but you can never actually fly. But then I started to understand, it's like, wait, flying would kind of ruin this game. Or maybe they didn't have the resources to put into making flight the focus of the game. So instead they give you these other like fun ways of like surfing around on the um, the power lines around the city. Or in the later games, you could kind of like shoot up in the air and then glide. But um, it, it's, it, it seemed like a, an interesting decision and I think a good decision on their part to never introduce that capability of flying to those games. Drew, how does how does flight affect us outside of gaming? The like the, the introduction of flight in games does it have any like real world implications that you can think of? Well, I, I think I get the question a lot. Um, does like my experience with flight simulators help me in? in actually learning to fly. Uh, and I, I think it does not because I have any, like you can, you can definitely, there are games out there that you can buy and learn to start up a Cessna 172, um, 
you know, switch by switch. And yes, that that translates pretty directly to uh, the experience of actually flying a 172. Or in the case of uh, one of my favorite games, Digital Combat Simulator A10C Warthog, I don't know when I'm going to get to fly an A10, <laughs> uh, but I'll probably have a good idea about how to start it up. But I think you can get, there are other things that translate, uh, even if it's not specific, you know, <laughs> sequences of switches. Um, I think the the big one for me is uh, an understanding of how uh, roll, pitch, and yaw work together. That's my favorite rap group from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, their, their recent stuff is not that great. No, yeah, um, <laughs> they've definitely gone downhill. Uh, and I think understanding how your position in 3D space works. You know, I, it's tough for me to assess how that would be different if I didn't have that because I do have it. Um, but I think judging from the responses of a lot of my instructors, uh, or I guess I've had two instructors so far, uh, they, they're sometimes, and this is going to sound like I'm bragging, but they are sometimes impressed with, with certain like I'll get stuff really quickly and that I will attribute to having played a lot of uh, simulators and flying games. And they don't have to necessarily be simulators, but like flying games in general. Uh, I, I think another another one is um, hand-eye coordination or at least a, uh, a certain confidence in using a control device that's not a steering wheel, you know? So the, the a flight yoke is kind of like a steering wheel left and right, except you don't, you don't twist when you turn it. You bank. You you roll, uh, and then you pull it in and out to pitch up and down. And then your left and right twisting movement is controlled with pedals. So uh, we in the video game world jump from console to console, and the controller is always different every time. So I think uh, acclimating to that was a lot easier, and then understanding what each thing does um, was was fairly uh, simple for me. Putting it all together is still is still difficult, but um, yeah, I, I attribute a lot of uh, uh, my what what little confidence I have in the cockpit. I attribute a lot of lot of it to video games. What do you think is the biggest shortcoming of simulators in your experience so far as a pilot, student pilot? Uh, definitely the the seat of your pants thing. Simulators just can't replicate that, um, and that's a that's a big thing when uh, it comes to to flying. Uh, although maybe not as big as you'd expect, I was doing some instrument training, uh, not, not for my instrument, uh, rating, but for, um, just general private pilot. I was wearing these special glasses that cloud the top half of your vision so that you can't see outside the plane. Oh, wow. and I had to fly only on instruments and my instructor said, don't trust your body. <laughs> because your body can lie to you, but your instruments won't. Yeah. So I that, think that's why in, in that way, learning to take in information like you do on a video game HUD, um, that helps a lot too, because a lot of what you're doing in flying is dividing your attention between what you see outside and what your instruments say and not getting fixated on them. The one thing that I don't see a lot of, and I, I've definitely not played as many simulators as you. So if this exists, enlighten me but um the one thing that i would like to see in a simulator is 
all the communication you have to have with ground control and navigating runways and stuff, I really didn't think about that until until I started, um, you know, taking a serious interest in in learning how to fly. Uh, and I had never seen that in a, in a simulator before. There's just like so much knowledge and uh, very uh, bespoke sort of uh, language that is used for, uh, you know, just navigating an airport. Yes, absolutely. That is a huge one uh, and something a lot of a lot of students have trouble with. Um, me included. It, it has taken me a long time to, to feel comfortable with with talking to <laughs> uh, air traffic control. And yeah, you're right. Games don't do. It's a really difficult thing for games to do. Um, X-Plane 11 uh, is trying to do that and it has a decent system. But I think the the holy grail that I've always wanted to try is something called VATSIM. Um, VAT? Yeah, V-A-T for Virtual Air Traffic Simulator. And it, oh, wow. I think it's a plugin for X-Plane and for Microsoft Flight Simulator. Okay. That basically allows you to connect to what is essentially a multiplayer session and have real people act as air traffic controllers for your virtual plane. Nice. I don't know if that I don't know if that sounds like a good thing or not. Like <laughs> trying to trying to find the runway, but this air traffic controller keeps calling me a cuck. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. This game isn't I, what I signed up for. <laughs> I think I think if you're signing up to be an air traffic controller in a video game. <laughs> you're a very pretty serious. It's a very specific kind of troll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or or you're playing the long game. With, I mean, yeah. with your like I like I really want to learn how to be an air traffic controller, and so I'm going to get into this very dense game. But I'm also very vocal about my political opinions. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like the right kind of nerdy to me. I, I would, I'd like to check that out, honestly. Yeah, that actually that actually sounds great. Before you even mentioned that, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, is there some way to to have a human element to it? So that sounds that sounds really neat. It's, it's a it's a it's a thing that could honestly really really help um, uh, a private pilot or or an aspiring one because it's I if I've been out of the plane for a while um, on my way to the airport for uh, my lesson, I will listen to air traffic control uh, on I have an app on my phone. Um, just to get back into the swing of things because it's really, really fast. You there, you hear it over the radio, uh, and you have to you have to be really on your game uh, to be able to understand what they're saying. Yeah, they don't have a whole lot of like patience either if you're doing it wrong. <laughs> it's kind of yeah, like yeah. get off, I mean, get off the runway. Yeah, you can you can say I'm sorry. Could you say that again? But like at some point, they're like, you need to get your act together. Have you seen any trends in? the way that flight is implemented into games any any changes over time or something we're seeing more recently it has kind of gone the way of shooters uh and by that i mean in the early days of shooters first person shooters uh every control scheme was different so as the player you would have to learn how it worked um and i think planes or flying uh, was like that for a long time, but we're slowly getting to like the accepted way that flight works in games so that when I find a flyable thing and I hop in it, I intuitively know how to control it. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I hadn't, I hadn't considered that, but yeah, the, the way that um, it has all sort of come to a single point where, you know, a single understanding of flight in games is almost translatable between, you know, flight in all games. That's, that's, that's a, a really cool point. We, I think in the past we had brought up, there was this really funny 
review of um, one of the Alien games for PlayStation 1 where the reviewer was lamenting the control system that like the left stick was for walking around and the right stick controlled where you were looking in the world and he thought that that was so like absurd at the time and it, it has now become the standard for all games. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's a that's a really cool point. Now, Drew, it, what would you like to see in the the future of flight in video games? How can the industry I guess, continue to improve as they're implementing flight into games? I mean, I think, I think VR, and I hate no, that's, how... No, I'm glad you're bringing up VR. I'm going this direction. Uh, but flight and VR have a certain kind of um, crossover that the rest of games don't. You have to go a little step further with the flying in vr because if you're dedicating yourself to making a flying game in vr you also have to go beyond the visuals to put the person in the seat so i think having a good interplay between vr and whatever controller that you have um is is key because when i want to fly a plane in vr i want to feel like i'm actually in the cockpit so whether that means like having uh, an external device that um, has switches or uh, a real joystick instead of a uh, you know an Xbox controller, um, or even just using the the Vive sensors to like move your hand around and flip switches that way, um, I, th- I think those are just as key as um, you know as a as a uh, an accurate flight model um, in 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 a, in a VR game. Yeah. I think it's I think it's great you brought up VR because we kind of close out our discussion on this question a lot and we find that VR oftentimes is the answer to this question <laughs> of how you know like what what does the future look like how can how can the industry improve cuz uh I think Jared said yeah. it best in our last episode the VR is like the wild west where we're having to relearn uh, reteach ourselves all of these things about design in this new space but for me, I think one of the things that has always kind of kept me away from those dense flight simulators is that there's always kind of been this disconnect for me between like the the buttons on a mouse and a keyboard, or even if you're using like, um, you know, like a, a good setup that actually has a, a yoke and, and pedals and stuff. There's still always kind of been this disconnect for like, you know, hitting hitting the switches in the proper order and that kind of stuff. And I think VR might be that solution for me where like if I can actually reach out with my hands and hit the switches it removes that that you know one layer of disconnect that might be keeping me from fully enjoying that stuff so I'm glad you brought that up Jared what how about you what what can uh, what can video games do better when they're implementing flight in the future so the more I think about it the weirder it is to me that this is so important but one of the things that really excited me about Star Citizen was like I think the first module they released was just you able to walk into your your spaceship like they was sitting in a hangar and just like walk around inside of your spaceship. Um, I really like the idea of boots on the ground. You physically go through a door and you're inside of a, a, a aircraft or a spaceship of some kind and it feels like a space and then you can sit in the seat and take off. Um, I don't know what that. I don't know what that experience like. Is there a word for that? It's not really like I don't want to use the word immersion, but um, just that feeling of 
owning the plane and being inside of it, you're not the plane, you're the pilot, I think is something that I'd like to see in a lot more games. And, um, you know, one of the things... It gives a good sense of of presence, I think, of... of Presence, that's a good word. Yeah, of of feeling that, like, yeah, you're, you're... it's your character that you've moved into this position that's now seated behind the, you know, the controls of, of the spaceship or this airplane. Yeah. Yeah, Especially in a a space game where you have a giant, you know, a giant spaceship. It's essentially like a fortress and being able to get up out of that seat and walk around and do interact with other systems. uh, That sounds really cool. Um, Star Trek bridge crew. I kind of thought was going to be that, but I, I haven't had a chance to play it. It doesn't seem quite, what I want from a VR flight thing, but it's cl- it's getting close. Um, so you know, more more stuff like that would be, I would say, I, I would like to see improved upon. Maybe yeah. that's a very specific market too. I don't know if everyone would want to do that. Well, um, I I agree with you. So you got at least one person on board. That's all that matters. I want more flight sims to ship with gigantic manuals. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I always enjoyed, I think I watched the uh, quick look for DCS World and uh, I enjoyed seeing your, your vast notes that you took beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> I basically am creating my own manuals. And just, yeah, those are, talk about that's like, like that's, a, that's a way, too. yeah, that too. Uh, but like, <laughs> that's, that's how I play flight simulators is I have a laptop open next to me where I'm writing a manual for myself. Because especially a game like DCS, um, where you're learning how to uh, start up and fly a warthog and use all of its munitions, it's so complicated. And they do a really good job of tutorializing it, but you can't keep that in your head unless you're <laughs> playing think, it every I single day. I think you day. were starting up uh, the A-10 or a similar aircraft and the wing fell off. I got strafed. <laughs> yeah. So I was, an I was enemy. Like, don't Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, there's something very satisfying about learning, just starting up the systems and starting up those engines uh, that's, that's, you don't really get from anything else. No, and I, I think, I think more people uh, outside of the group of crazies like me um, can get, can have fun with something like that. But there is, I think, a gulf between traditional games and flight sims i think games like uh il2 sturmovic kind of bridge this gap a little bit and world war ii sims do it because dogfighting everyone understands and you just put put the reticle on the and i guess oh what's the war thunder yes also is warhawk as well Um, okay (laughs) (laughs) different game uh because there's like il2 sturmovic I'll, i'll point out specifically because that was the first sim I played that was not just like shooting down bad guys, but you could control the pitch of your propeller. Oh, wow. Which actually had gameplay implications. So I, I, I think there's like we like these games, those of us in the flight sim nerd community, uh, because of the depth that's there. And depth is something that traditional or, or non flight sim gamers crave, right? And these games have that, but they are locked behind this weird uh, wall of impenetrability. So I, I think there's a there's an opportunity there for for games to to live somewhere in the middle. And DCS is as good of a, a system as that they built. You know, all their planes and modeled their planes around. Um, 
and it's not it's not specific to DCS. It's basically all flight simulators. They have kind of like a jank to them, where they're not quite like designed like any other video game. I would like to see a big budget studio take on something like that, but I I don't know the if I, I there's probably a market for it, right? But I mean that's the other thing. Like like the market is is uh well I mean I don't know numbers, but it's the flight sim market is small, but um, but very loyal. Yeah. But you're right. There is a there's a lot of jank out there in um in in flight sims. I think though X Plane Ten was real bad. Uh, with the jank X Plane Eleven is a gigantic step forward. Uh, so if 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 you <laughs> if out there have been uh worried about jumping back into it, X Plane X Plane Eleven is a is a big leap forward. What do they explain to you in the game? It's not so much explanation. <laughs> that was a dad joke. That's another one of my bad dad jokes. Explain. Oh my god, explain. <laughs> See what you I'm did. The, there, I've Steve. never gotten that before. <laughs> yeah, I'm the I'm the first one to make that joke. <laughs> you might be. I might. Uh, yeah, I'm the first person to or the first that, to say that, that low. Yeah. People people probably thought it. They just didn't Have I been missing that all these years? <laughs> uh, one. I think one of the. I'm just going to throw one more pun, pun in here. Oh, go for when it. We were playing uh, Rise of Flight. Uh, I think it was it was still a free to play game at that point. Um, but you could you could purchase planes. And Vinny, who was with me, uh, said, "Oh, so in this World War One flying game, you can try planes and then buy planes." <laughs> nice we gotta get him on the show (laughs) give me his phone number right now we'll get him on here (laughs) is there a dad joke episode we'll have a we'll have a pun war on here well guys um was there any uh last minute things we wanted to get in here about flight and video games probably but you know we don't have four hours to record this podcast (laughs) so Uh, i also will point out war thunder is free to play uh and that's a if you just want to to fly some planes um and shoot things because they uh, have um like an arcade mode too right where it's not as simulator like i think you're i think you're right and it's on consoles as well as pc oh nice cool well yeah if you're if you're interested in flight games go go definitely check that one out and if you're insane digital combat simulator is for you yes (laughs) if you like if you like systems and and pushing buttons and uh learning taking you know a day out of your week to learn how to uh start up the right engine that's the one to go to I will be avoiding that one like the plague. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our listener feedback section. If you have any questions or comments about flight and video games or any of our previous topics, please send emails to us at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. Also, we're always taking ideas for future topics, so send those along as well if you got them. Jared, what do we got today? Yep, this one is from Alex Fogelman on Twitter. He says, uh, in episode 17, we were talking with uh, Tanya DePass about representation in the protagonist role of, um, you know, in video games. So how, um, you know, main characters are portrayed. And um, one thing I think that we left out was uh, Joker from Mass Effect. He was, he didn't have use of his legs and he was the pilot of, of their ship. And uh, one thing that I really liked about that character was that that was just who he was, but it never really, they didn't like, there wasn't really anything else to it. That's just who he was, you know, they, they didn't like exploit that in the story. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great example. Now, 
after we did episode 17 with Tanya talking about representation and I believe it was the next episode, episode 18 with Sharif about accessibility. I tried to find games that featured protagonists with disabilities and the list is very, very small. And this goes, you know, this goes right back to kind of what we were talking about with in the representation episode is that there might just not be a lot of voices in the video game space, like within development advocating for these kinds of representation. So we don't see it ever really represented in games, except for these sort of fringe characters, you know, as, as great as Joker was, he was a, a side character in that story. You know, we don't have very many games where you play as someone who's wheelchair bound or games where you're playing as someone with uh, like a learning disability or, you know, or, or, or any of these, these different kinds of these issues that also fit into this category of, of representation. I think that like, I mean, I'm sure that we said this back then, but that could tell some really cool stories, you know? Like, I think that there would be some really unique things you could do with if you were playing a character who's wheelchair-bound. I think there's a lot of cool video gamey mechanics uh, that could come from exploring stuff like that. Yeah, and I don't, maybe maybe we don't need to go too deep into this. You know, in, in my searching for this, I, I was, like, looking at people who had posted similar questions on forums, like, what are some good games with disabled lead characters? And the first 20 responses to every post are like, well, I play video games to feel empowered. Why would I want to play as someone in a wheelchair? And it's like, (laughs) it's such like a disheartening thing to read because like, well, we haven't fully explored that space in video games yet. So, you know, I, we don't have like the good answer for why you would want to do that. But I, I guarantee a good answer exists in the world where it would be, you know, where like you're saying, there could be some cool mechanics or some some cool gameplay that evolves from this. But if our mentality is to shoot it down at the very notion of it, then we'll never we'll never get to understand or appreciate those those aspects of video games. That's a great point. Uh, we also had a tweet from uh, Rosanna Nichols on uh, Twitter. She said, "Lately, I've been listening to GB Feature, a podcast that talks about video game design mechanics and more social slash political issues." They've had really great and diverse guests, and they have really interesting discussions. They deserve way more listeners. Uh, and I really appreciate it. When I saw that tweet, it really made my day. So thank you, Rosanna, for um, tagging us on that. Yeah, thank you very much for the shout-out, Rosanna. This, um, when we started this podcast, you know, we, didn't, we don't have a whole lot of connections to, to people in the industry. Everyone that's come on the show has been like super gracious with their time and has... has um, you know, it, it's been an honor for me to, to get to talk with people like Drew uh, on here today. Um, but, you know, most of our listeners right off the bat were were friends and family and stuff. And when, you know, when I see feedback from from listeners, people, you know, like we, we've had people internationally write to us uh, and, and say very kind things. That means a lot to me. You know, I, I'm glad that we're we're reaching um to people and and hopefully having a, a positive impact. So, you know, that, that means a lot to me, Rosanna. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And I get people who ask me sometimes like, you know, how, what's the best way to support us? Obviously like going on iTunes and just giving us a review is always helpful, but honestly, like we don't make money off this. This is a, a passion project for us. And, um, just people reaching out and saying nice things like that is honestly the best way to, to support us and keep us going. So thank you. Yeah. And tell your friends and tell your friends word of mouth goes a long way. Uh, Anything else, Jared? That is it.
All right, cool. Well, that's going to do it. Again, you can always send your emails to us at podcast at GB feature. And that's the end of this episode. But before we get out of here, I have to thank our guest, Drew Scanlon. Drew, thanks for hanging out with us, man. This is this has been a blast talking flight with you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Of course. Where can uh, where can the fine folks that listen to this podcast keep up with you and follow your work? Uh, I am. I my personal Twitter account is at Drew Scanlon, which is D R E W. Uh, S-C-A-N-L-O-N. Everyone, when I've, I've said my name before and people think it's Truce Canyon. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I realize it can I mean, be a little difficult. I mean, it's a pretty baller name. <laughs> Truce Canyon. Yeah. That's like, I don't know. That's like a, a Western character. <laughs> or, or like a Thunder Down Under Dancer. Yes. Okay. Uh, more, more career goals. Uh, you can follow Cloth Map on Twitter at Cloth Map um, and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Cloth Map to see everything that we have created there. Uh, and we are patron supported. We're on Patreon um, at patreon.com slash Cloth Map. And you're going to Cuba next, right? Yes. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, I hope so. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'll just... Uh... I will just encourage our guests, or sorry, I will encourage our listeners to go check out our guests' work with Cloth Map. It's it's really cool to see, and I, I appreciate that you're out there doing that work. And then if you have a, a few dollars to spare, maybe show them some love on Patreon. That'd be great. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, as a reminder, we release new episodes of this podcast every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and want to help us out, you can always head over to iTunes and give us a review or share our podcast with your friends or or just keep listening and sending us nice messages. All of that is appreciated. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast, This Is Rad, on iTunes. I'm Stephen Bennett. That's at Stephen underscore the gamer on Twitter. And I'm at Jerry Bruner on Twitter. We want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.